we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from the truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into, every, into everything around us. We let it grow, but now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. Welcome to another another episode of the Dad Jedi Podcast. This is episode 138, take two. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was having some technical difficulties at the onset, but you weren't here for it, so that's okay. Uh, but anyway, no. As always, I am Aaron, and with me is uh, Dave and Fredo. Happy belated Thanksgiving, gentlemen. Same to you. Happy belated Thanksgiving and glad you were able to fix the Falcon. Yeah, right. I just need to just smack. <laughs> I was about ready to just smack the machine. All right, but um, I gotta put that sound effect in now. I gotta go find that sound effect. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so tonight we're going to talk about the uh, the final episode of Andor. I have to tell you guys actually um, that. This is one of the first Star Wars shows on Disney Plus that I've gone back and started to rewatch like almost immediately after the final episode. Um, and that, that's, I think that says something. And I've, and I, I encourage everybody to do that, by the way, because I, there is so much, unless you watch the episodes multiple times when they came out, there's so much I think you miss. Um, especially anytime Nemec speaks it's like there are there are jewels in in those lines um but anyway no like i said i started re-watching some of it um and we're going to uh just kind of get our thoughts down on this on this season finale so um but before that um any like i said i was actually this morning uh listening we have we're in the presence of greatness here i was listening to the saints happy hour podcast and all of a sudden they started yelling out the fact that nola fredo is in the chat and fredo we haven't heard from fredo forever so i that was uh nola fredo has entered the chat he has he has uh, didn't miss no listen to them for quite a while when they started out so uh, it's always nice it's always nice to be remembered right you now it's a good sign. It's a good sign that they're not. Oh darn! That's that Fredo. Get yeah, rid of him. There's that that guy again. No, they're totally excited. Uh, so, anyway, and uh, not that anybody listening to this podcast cares, but Nebraska finally won a game, and we have a new coach. Um, we we don't need to talk about that. Um, my only things I have against him is that uh, he wasn't Mickey Joseph, and he coached the Carolina Panthers. It's the only two things I can hold over his head right now. Um, but uh, I'm, yeah, they, they could, whoever they get to coach that team, as long as they start winning, that will, then I'll, I'll uh, pass judgment. So anyway, um, yeah, 
So, but like I said, Nebraska beat Iowa. So there's that. Um, and Dave, your team is going for the Big 12 championship. Yeah, we got TCU this weekend. It'll be. Uh, we played them pretty close last time in Fort Worth, um, and this is going to be more of a neutral field, even though it's in Dallas. Um, it'll be the fans will be split pretty evenly, I'm guessing. So, but uh, the, we'll see. But the hot team in town is Tulane. Wow, <laughs> I mean, the, talk about talk about being in the upside down. With all due respect, I mean that's awesome for Tulane fans. My sister, who was the athletic trainer at Tulane for a uh, number of years, she was so excited that Tulane was on ABC. She's like, I, I mean, she's like, FS2, you know, ESPNU, you know, yeah, I can, but ABC. So she was stoked. Um, but anyway, so we're getting towards the end of college football season. We'll. Uh, see how it all goes down so anyway um well let's start off with some trivia to get us into the star wars mood here um all right so going to fredo what type of vehicle delivers the emperor to the second death star is that the Without looking at the back of the card right now, I will tell you that I will accept two. There are one of two answers I that are acceptable to me. Um, so, like the easy way to answer, it's like the Imperial shuttle, or it's like the Tidarian class shuttle. So I would have. Okay, they say. Oh, there. Okay, so three answers, um, because the answer on the back of the card is an Imperial shuttle. I mean. Okay. That's I mean, that's like what car did Aaron drive to work? Aaron's car. Uh, oh, but right. uh, but I would have accepted uh, shuttle Tidarium. No, actually, shuttle yeah. Tidarium was the one that they took to Endor, so I would not have taken that one. Um, but a Lambda class shuttle, I would have taken. So okay. that's getting nerdy here, but uh, you know, we'll talk about Kyber Crystal. That's later. what we do. Um, Dave, what duo? Do six troopers try to capture just prior to the Ewoks' surprise attack? What duo do six troopers try to capture just prior to the Ewoks' surprise attack? I'm pretty sure that would be C-3PO and R2-D2. It is C-3PO and R2-D2. Very, very Uh good. All right. And to me, who survives a crash landing on Coruscant? landing strip and jokes another happy landing that was obi-wan kenobi hello there you know sometime we should actually play the star wars trivial pursuit dvd game three of us head to head and see what happens i'm coming in dead last see how see how long that takes that game to to get to a conclusion we might record that as a podcast um all right well we got so a couple little star wars news tidbits um and it's like uh here it comes back round again the what what do we got first off Fredo? so right quick uh last weekend netflix released the glass onion which is the sequel to knives out so ryan johnson's been doing the um, interview tour and while then talking to Hollywood Reporter, somebody came up and asked him, hey, wait a minute, now you're making stuff for TV or streaming in this case. You know, Lucasfilm is very aggressively pursuing a series. Is there a Star Wars series you'd like to make? Now, of course, Ryan Johnson 
for those of you who might forget, was at one point going to make his own Star Wars movie trilogy. But this is what he says. Well, I would do a Star Wars anything. And if I had an idea that I was excited about that worked better as a show than a movie, I would do it that way. At the moment, we're, make, we're between making the next Benoit Blanc movie, that's uh, the character Daniel Craig plays, and thinking about Poker Face. I keep getting together with Kathy Kennedy, having conversations. So who knows? Making The Last Jedi was the best experience in my life, so I should be so lucky. End quote. Now, it doesn't tell you he's not, doesn't have an idea that doesn't think would work for some movie, but it just tells you doesn't sound like he's making a movie anytime soon yeah. in Star Wars. You know, and it's interesting that he mentions the the show aspect um, because that plays into a little bit of... Um, did, we don't, did, I don't think we talked about it last time on the show. I don't think it happened. But um, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Iger is taking over for Bob Chapek as CEO of Disney. And um, I saw an article that was like, Bob Iger is going to fix disney's star wars problem whatever that is i didn't read the rest of the article but um but what people have said is that bob chapik kind of went all in on disney plus and disney plus revenues are down as dave has prognosticated before on this show and um disney stock is not doing so well and so and prices are going up in the parks and everything like that so i would not be surprised if we get another little bit of pump on the you know pump of the brakes for you know shows coming out on disney plus um and that i don't know it just seems like we've spent too much attention over there and not attention over here and so i think bob Iger is going to bring the needle more towards the center i don't know so i, I would love to see ryan johnson stuff but i think now it's probably going to be you know a little bit longer. He's being coy, so it's really hard to sort of take anything from it, right? I could do TV. I could do a movie, you know. Who knows? Um, and he may not know. Like, again, his ideas, it sounds like, are still sort of gestating and um, sort of the back of his brain somewhere. But I also feel like he could be lying about that you know they could have they could have a script practically ready to go and he could just dive straight into it tomorrow you know um the point is he doesn't want to take any attention away from the movie he's trying to promote right promote. now yeah um as far as Iger goes like there's there's a lot you can say about this situation. I mean, we could go probably a whole show with this. And I, I think like the biggest thing that that jumps out to me with this is that he was very committed to the movies and like maybe to the franchise's detriment in, in terms of keeping a schedule and making sure that those movies came out on a tight schedule. And um, we saw it with, with the last two films that we got um, that they, they might've been a little rushed. People have talked about force awakens actually being a little bit rushed. Um, I think those sorts of critiques are, are, are somewhat valid. Um, we, we have, we've talked about that stuff on the show before. It's like solo came out way too soon after last Jedi. And then rise of Skywalker came out way too soon after that. 
you, and then Rise of the Skywalker felt half baked. Do you think that that was because you know, like investors, you know, and and the board they they want they want to see the ROI, you know, right away. I mean, they want to see their return you know, because they just spent you know, how many billion dollars buying Lucasfilm, and it's like now get Star Wars stuff out quick so they can see that we mean business. Um, and so we can start seeing some of this money back. Um, and then he, and he was the one that then said, okay, we're going to pump the brakes and we're not going to release, you know, so many things out so quickly. Um, but also star Wars prison is being offered at a discount to DVC members. So there's the first brick falling on that one. But anyway, (laughs) so Iger is Iger's a really interesting guy though um and he's he's like well really well respected he's done so much in this industry and and like um it's 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 certainly a an indictment of his successor um but I'm not I would caution anybody that says oh he's gonna fix Star Wars whatever that means right uh, you know, it's like there were there were some cracks in the foundation before he ever handed this thing off. Yeah, and just because just to think back, there was a point a couple of years ago where I think everybody was suggesting that Disney's plan for December was to have basically alternating uh, Avatar and Star Wars movies. Uh, so they would have like a Star Wars movie come out one December then an Avatar sequel, then another Star Wars movie, then another Avatar sequel. Well, the first one of those Avatar movies is coming out this month, upcoming. And I believe they've said that in order for it to be profitable, it's got to make like $2 billion, yeah. which in a, in a globally, which when you think about it, that's an insane amount of money to be expecting to make back. And is anybody... Because even in the best... Is anybody really that, like, was that turned on over the first avatar that they can't wait to see the sequel i mean i i know <clears throat> i'm sure those fans are out there right like this is the thing i always come back to i was like oh my gosh does anybody talk about avatar in the same sort of glowing terms and you're like the devoted fan that that i'm like i can't wait for that i got my avatar action figures you know and i'm you know it's just like that that picture does not align right like it never aligned so yeah cameron's amazing he's an amazing filmmaker and he has an incredible capacity for filming things that we've never seen before and i think like that's the draw it's not avatar it's what's cameron gonna do next yeah yeah and i think but i think that kind of makes it you know it puts it to a, a point of well, that was the expectation that Disney's investors got sold on. And hey, at the very least, Cameron's delivering his end of the bargain. We need Star Wars to be delivering their end of the bargain. And we don't just mean fun, great shows on Disney+. Plus. So, we'll see. The other thing I'll just say really briefly, quickly here, is just that like a lot of the people are using this as an excuse to bash Kathleen Kennedy again. And again, that that ground is well covered by now. But I do want to just reflect very briefly on the fact that we had three live action Star Wars shows this year. Yeah. Like I actually had to like sit back and like do the math on this because Boba Fett was earlier this year. 
and mm-hmm. and then we got Obi-Wan and then we got Andor and it's like how spoiled are we at this point? I and mean, I know not everybody loved all of it, but how spoiled if you didn't love how... all of it, you could pick some, the one you do love and watch It's like that. 20 how... hours of 20 hours of Star Wars content in one year. And That's how spoiled how spoiled and how egotistical are we to think that oh, Bob Iger is here, he's going to fix Star Wars as if Star Wars is you know, the only thing in Disney and the worst thing that's going on with Disney right now. Like I said, I go back. I mean, they, they've raised prices to the point where their, their whole strategy was we're going to, we need to keep crowds down. So we're going to make, we're going to price people out so they can't go to, to Disney world. You know, it's only going to be, you know, the Uber rich and, you know, or the people with no kids, you know, and it's like, you know, it's, that's, that's contrary to what, Walt Disney, like Brittany and I were talking about this, I said, unless Walt Disney only wanted rich kids to go to Disneyland, which could be, I don't know, but I don't think so. You know, he wanted a place for everybody. And if you're, if your company strategy became, you know, like Cartman land, you know, so you, you know, only allow a couple people in a day, that's not a moneymaker. And then you, I mean, so they've got a lot of other things they need to fix beyond Star Wars. But what's going right with Star Wars, if anybody wants, if there is a ship to turn around on Star Wars, then they need to look to Tony Gilroy and the Andor series because aesthetically, um, just storytelling wise, I still say, and you've got one more news point here about Diego Luna talking about season one, season two. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is the best written Star Wars. And I'm not saying that Tony Gilroy has to write everything now. But if you want to do, if you want to study how to write new and good Star Wars, here you go. You know. So anyway. Yeah, and actually, no, and you're right, and yeah, because both Tony Gilroy as well as Diego Luna have been doing also interviews in ahead of the finale last Wednesday, and uh, but they both talked to Collider. But I'll just mention one brief section, a pretty good interview that Diego Luna does with them, where he kind of talks about, you know. The fact that they took some risks and that what connected with people were the very things that they kind of stepped over the line and risked for. They're like, wow, we can't believe that we'd really, that things are paying off the way that we thought that uh, they would. But I'll bring up one point that is, because uh, that's one of the talking points, I think, for this episode is they ask, uh, Collider asked Diego about Cassian's sister and his search for her. So he starts by saying, uh, I don't think so. I don't think that search is over. I don't think it's ever over. I don't think it's over in row one because I see that as one thing. So it's like it's one of those things that kind of follow every decision you make and you're never letting go anymore. And I think that's behind the decision on that suicide mission in row one. That's for his sister. That's for Marva. That's for his people, his community. Then he says this, I love the arc that Tony has built and that arc ends in row one, not in season two. And I think it's going to be quite amazing to watch Rogue One after you see season two. I think you'll see a different film and for sure you'll understand the character from a different perspective and you'll be with him in a different way. Star so <clears throat> I love the fact that they're thinking that way. They're not just, oh, we're not just making one season. We're not making two seasons. They're going to be making something that's going to stretch for these two seasons into Rogue One. And I think uh, Tony Guerrero said in this interview that Season two will pick up a year after yeah. where this episode ends. You know, Star Wars Underworld podcast um, mentioned talking about the similar thing. I mean, it's like this is 
we just got act one, you know, and season two is going to be act two and rogue one is act three. Um, so that I, I do, I, I like that as well. I like that as well. Um, I also saw a Tony Gilroy interview that he said that, um, nobody's dying in between that year jump said if they, mm -hmm. if they made it to the end, then we can assume that they're, they're alive. So we never saw Kino Lloyd die. So <laughs> he may have yeah. gotten out. He may be swimming, but anyway, no, anyway, like I said, anybody who we're not going to have, that doesn't mean all characters are coming back. I would guess probably most, but, um, um, anyway. Yeah, I can guess that most of the characters we saw around that funeral scene in, in on Ferrix are the ones that we're going to be looking back to in season two. It's going to be really interesting structurally to think about this show. And again, a lot of people are kind of like, are you sure, Tony? Are you sure you want, are you going to do it this way? You don't want to maybe add another season in there because you're going from a very compact um time frame to you know just like years spanning like different time periods over a 12 uh episode arc we think and then you're going to another really compact time frame with the movie so you're telling cassian's story in that way with like a lot of focus on this part of his life and a lot of focus on this other part of his life later on and then in the middle is going to be kind of herky jerky jump around a little bit um you know so it's, it's interesting it's funny that you say that because then if you look at the original trilogy if you just have those back to back we have a what a one year time jump between uh a new hope and empire and then we have a three year jump from empire to jedi or two or something like that and it's like one it's like two and one I think, and something like that. and we're telling luke skywalker's story um in kind of a herky-jerky thing so um i think it also gets back to it's like you have this medium why can't you just make more it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they put it together um so well ultimately it didn't really matter a lot with um the last jedi and the force awakens like being smashed together either like, because that was a real departure from the typical structure that we had seen. And that was like, you know, two thousandth on the list of complaints that we we could end up having about that, about that trilogy. It's like, yeah, those two movies are close together in time. So what? Um, um, but at the time, it felt weird. It was kind of like, what? Yeah. Is that going to work? How's that going to flow? Flow just fine. So I do like okay, so let's talk let's talk about the finale. If I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. Fight the Empire! And I just want to get to the very end real quick first. I love how this season ended like the first act of a musical where, you know, everything has been set up and introduced. There's been stuff going on. And then it's like the, 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 you know, the first act usually ends not on a, you know, it, it has a note of, all right, now let's go, you know, 
the con you, you know what the conflict is going to be um and that i mean that's i just thought that they set it up i just i just love the way this ended so just real quick before uh because Diego Luna talks about that in this interview that he did with Collider. They asked him about that final scene. And he says, I think you could read his mind at the end. What he's saying is, this is no life. Take this thing I have away from me because it means nothing unless you let me fight for freedom. He's saying there's no point of living like this. He finally gets it. And I think that's part of the point of the that final moment is when you see the start of the show, it's Cassian out on his own trying to figure things out, doing the thing that he needs to do for himself because he's not really worried about anybody else. And the journey that he went through across these 12 episodes leaves him at a point where he recognizes he has to live for something more. There's something bigger that he needs to set out to do. And that moment really puts him in his front of, I'm not going back to the guy I was in that first episode. The guy who just shot a couple of corporal guys just because he needed to get away, you know, if I'm going to be doing some things for the greater good. Well, all right. So I, like I said, I, I just wanted to say that about the end real quick. So, but let's talk about the, the high points of, uh, of this finale. Um, first of all, um, I had to stop and think, is that the first time we've seen, it's not the first time we've seen instruments, but it's the first time. I mean, you I mean, you could tell, I loved how they had a flute and they just put some things on it and they took a French horn and they kind of bent out the bell you know, um, but we got a we got a second line on Ferrix, um, you know that type of thing. But anyway, so the whole deal is like, all right, we're we're gonna let them have their funeral, and so that um, basically trying to set the trap to get Cassian back. And Cassian is is in Ferrix, um, so I don't know. I, I, it's it, so the the trap is set, but uh, I, it really the thing I loved is how first of all they said it's going to start a couple hours from now and then boom they started on their own time frame um, yeah. and that sets the whole tone for everything it's like you know the anvil you know kicks you know, starts kicking in and they started on their own time frame um, yeah and um, that that you know first off that absolutely you're 100 percent right that's exactly what they intended to do they're they're just they're going well you can do it at this time wait a minute they're starting early now we're completely off guard um the other thing too is they completely misjudged uh cassian's intent they thought he wanted to be there um front and center front and center and, and, and partake in the, the funeral pr procession in some way. And failing that, he'd be hiding nearby, but still trying to observe, and we're going to nab him there. And again, for him, it was an, an entirely a misdirect, at least when he realized that his friend was captured and that he could potentially get her out. And that became the priority for him. And they did not see that coming at all. So there's the thing is that, you know, and, and getting back to that a little bit is that I, I said, I think I told you in the first take of this podcast, I went back and started watching Andor, you know, starting from season one. I recommend everybody to do that because you pick up on so many things. For example, um, what, as you were just talking about that, Dave, uh, it, the conversation between 
um, uh, Cassian and Nemec in the Aldani arc. And Nemec was talking about uh, basically playing by the rules type of thing. And, and Cassian said, said, you're half right, said the Empire doesn't take, you know, doesn't take the time to learn the rules. And it was said in a very pessimistic way. But I mean, that's what that's what Ferrix is like, you know, okay, they set these rules. Well, we're going to play by the Empire's rules, which is to not play by the rules, you know. So, I mean, so it, it was it's just like I say, we go back and watch some of these episodes. You get you get uh, some little nuggets like that where things Cassian say, says early on and then it turns it on its head. Um the, the revisits in this episode alone are powerful. The, the, the revisiting the um, manifesto and, and, and some of those words in, in this episode alone are, are really powerful stuff. And, but we'll probably get to that too. Fredo, you were going to say something. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, well, what I found interesting is that moment that Aaron points out to the, oh, we'll tell them we'll start in two hours and all of a sudden, you know, the bells ring and you hear the music and they're all of a sudden the Empire scrambling. It's it's almost like as if the people of Ferex are trying to retake, regain the power over the Empire and show, no, we're the ones in charge here. This is our home, and we do things our way on our schedule, not on what you tell us as a schedule. Uh, yeah, the, what I kept thinking of was second-line culture here in, in New Orleans where for the longest time they did things on their end, and they would butt heads with the city officials and city authorities because they're like no you're going to do it on our terms and it would go back and forth um between the people who are governed and the people who say they're in charge and sure enough uh it's the empire who comes out and their response is to escalate they never de-escalate mm -hmm. the empire is always like you're gonna go here we're gonna go above you oh you did raise up the stakes we're gonna go even higher they don't know how to respond any other way and bites him at the bud in this episode i will say one of my criticisms because we're uh, let's we're going to start talking about marva's speech um and I, I i love how b2 emo is you know at the front of everything he's leading there and i was i was like going oh they if it, it was kind of like you can do anything you want but don't kill the dog you know it's like in in movies it's like if you do anything to the droid i'm gonna be mad um but um I will say here was the problem with this series is that when we talked about this early on is the the number of characters that there are and so at the beginning of this episode when they keep flashing back to the kid making bombs we're like, can't what was that kid's who is that kid what's he who's he looking at you know it was like because of the arc structure and because it's like okay we're going to talk about these people in the first two episodes and then we're going to go do something totally different for a while and then in the, at last episode it's like who's the kid making bombs that was that was bothersome but that's that's minor you know i i think in that moment i trusted them i i was like do i need to know who right he did is? it did it matter I, right does it matter if i know who he is and i'm thinking to myself probably not but when and you find out that it was his dad that they strung up in the street, you know, after I did my research, then, yeah, it is kind of, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, but, adds a little bit. 
I mean, at the end of the day, like you understand this character's motivation and what he's doing, and it's foreboding. Like he's building a bomb. That we don't know at that stage of things how coordinated any of this is, but we know somebody's bringing a bomb. Right. <laughs> I I saw some people saying that they thought for a moment that it might have been a lightsaber, and I went, no, that that that's something that was meant to go off. That's that's Chekhov's bomb that's getting built in Act One. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Marva's speech. The thing that I find really interesting, and again, she says, um, "We've been asleep for too long." Um, I think that was the line because early, in an earlier episode, she makes the comment of how I think we've been quiet for too long or something. It's not. It wasn't sleep, but it was something else. Um, and that made me and so she's her final thing it was really cool projection coming out of b2 and talking to everybody um and uh but she was you know right and just giving everybody the rebel you know go for it speech the thing that i find um interesting it has just totally left my head, but um, <laughs> uh, but and, but so while I try to get that back, apparently we almost got the first F word in Star Wars at that moment. Um, they're saying that uh, you know when she says "fight the Empire," there is there was an article that said Disney was okay with them using the S word um, earlier on in the like the second episode, but. Um, that there was another one that in the final episode they were not thrilled with. So it must be the F dash 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 word. Um, but I don't know. What'd you, what'd you think of, of Marva's speech to everybody? Um, I'm like so much else in this series, just a masterclass because. It, and you're um, vindicated by this Dave, cause you called uh, it. Oh yeah. I did. I said she wasn't going out quietly. And when she died, I was like, I'll just go be quiet over here in my corner because I was wrong. And then, sure enough, um, uh, yeah, she would she would not go out quietly. Um, the, the the speech serves two purposes, right? Which is to ramp up the tension in the scene considerably because her words are fighting words, and you know the Empire is not going to take that. This thing is escalating; it's going to turn into a fight. There's no way around that. And and you, so every moment that sort of passes as this speech is going on, you're becoming more and more aware as the viewer that this is going to turn to violence. And again, we talked about Hitchcock and this idea of sort of building tension gradually and getting to a point where you're like, okay, this thing is going to explode. And it did. Um, but also the words themselves had so much meaning and they tie so beautifully into what Cassian's mission is ultimately going to become. And again, he's not there yet, but he's getting there and he's really close at this point. Like from episode one to this point, he's, he's almost there. And you, you mentioned it by the end of the episode, his conversation with Luthan, he's, he's in it. So I remember what I was going to say is that, you know, Mm -hmm. we said we've been asleep too long and it it does, it is kind of speaking also 
not to get into a big political conversation here, but I mean, the the age old, you know, conversation of, you know, the more liberties you give up, you know, or in, you know, for safety, you know, it's it goes, you know, goes back to, you know, I mean, I think it's a legitimate argument to have, you know, when it's like, you know, it was recently with the COVID protocols, you know, I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that those were bad. I'm not, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, but uh, you know, it's like the more I can understand people's like the more we give, you know, the government or the people who are ruling our lives, the more we give to them. And we think that, do we think they're going to give it back? You know, it's like with it's as it becomes normal, then you forget about how upset you were by it. You know, I think that's a very, and that's what she is saying. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, people griped when those like that seatbelts are mandatory in cars. Now nobody really talks about it, unless they well, you know um, you know <laughs> unless they're trying to make some stupid point like on you know, this podcast. But um, you know, but but you know what I mean. It's that I and so she is telling everybody it is time to you know wake up. You've been giving too much to the empire. The other thing that stuck out to me is that uh, the line from the last of the jail breakout arc and that is power doesn't panic and the empire panicked when things were not working the going the way they thought it was going to they panicked fredo yeah no to marva's speech i think i think what's interesting is because we've gotten at least three different rebellious uh discourses this season, we got Luthen's monologue to uh, Lonnie, uh, you know, where he's talking about what he's doing. We got Nemec's manifesto, which we finally got to hear in full in this episode as Cassian's moving through the city. And then we got Marva's speech. And each one of them is aimed at a different level or different uh, audience. I mean, they're all aimed at us as the audience. But like, you know, like Luthen's speech is directed at somebody like Lonnie, who is having doubts about what they're doing. He is there to remind him, like, look, this is, you know, this is not easy and you're stuck with me and you might be remembering, you know, we might not be remembering we're doing the good thing. Whereas Marva's speech is all about a call to arms. It's all about you've been asleep, you have let this go on too long, you've thought that this was something that happened on the other side of the galaxy, far away from you, this didn't impact you. Just keep it going. Keep yes. don't mind it. And you know, I, yeah. I mean, it's there is no way to hear that as an audience member and not think about whether it's the conflict in Ukraine or the very COVID protests that are happening in China right now, where people are, you know, well, coming out against their their you know their oppressive regime. So let's take it back different further. Audiences for different people. Yeah, let's take it back further. It's it's the Declaration of Independence, right? You know, people. People think that that was just saying we are free, but that was a love letter to King George to actually not just not to King George. They were saying to the world, this guy has done these things. It's like the part that everybody forgets about the Declaration of Independence is the litany of, you know, crimes against humanity that, you know, they were saying that, you know, King George was doing. So that's what that's what Marva's doing here. She's telling everybody it's like mm -hmm. these are, you know she's announcing to the world um so okay before we move to the other stuff this is i've been thinking through this whole series is 
who is the founder of I'm not a father or mother or founder or whatever of the rebellion? Is it is it Nemec? Is it Cassian? Is it Luthen? Is it Mon Mothma? You know what I mean? Because you can make arguments for it's like where where is the seed? You know who is who is the who is responsible for all this? Um, I just, I just find I just find that again if I want to link it back to the American Revolution, it's like all those people were meeting together and thinking of one mind. All these people are doing things on their own, and they might interact, but they're not working in conjunction with one another. Well, the easy answer is it's uh, a gumbo, right? There's multiple right. answers to, to the question. But um, I think the most compelling answer is Cassian because he's not the leader that you think of, the typical leader. We've talked about this through the course of this show. This this is the person who inspires the people around him to take the steps that need to be taken. And he is he's a direct reflection of marva in that way like her dying you know her dying action is to inspire other people to act and he's a chip off the old block in that regard he's he's the guy that's doing that we saw what we saw that at the prison we saw that uh during their raid at the imperial facility um you see it again today um this this final episode these people aren't going to act in his best interest if they don't think that he's worth saving and that his cause is their cause. It's like, oh, Cassian, he's okay, I guess. We really liked Marva, but uh, I don't know about that Cassian guy. No. No, they see him as an extension of her. Um, mm, I don't know. They, all the Ferrix, they don't like cassian there's a lot of them they're trying to they they you know bix says to him that everybody blames you for the empire being here and they were also and there also he also had you know people who he thought were friends who were you know could turn him in on a dime so i don't know i, I don't know if i'm quite there yet to say that that cassian is the you know, is, is the the one that everybody looks to because the other thing about this and we got we got we have other things to move to as well. But um, Luthen can say the same thing about Luthen. Luthen is doing things in the shadows. He's literally in the shadows in this episode. He doesn't he doesn't do anything, doesn't raise a fist or raise a gun or anything in this battle. Neither does Cassian. Cassian gets his friend, gets Bix out. Everybody else is doing all the dirty work for those two. That's what I kind of find interesting. And um... I think like my read on that situation is that there's no manipulation involved in any of that. Um, and that it is a direct reflection on their feelings for him. And again, for Marva, but, but also for him. And not everybody feels the same way. You know, not everybody on the entire planet's going to like a person. Um, but, like, I think, by and large, Bra Brass is a good example, right? Like, here's a person, and he's, he's marvelous. And him using her brick. <laughs> <laughs> 
the like the, <laughs> the like brick the, material. Like the I first mean, the first shot in the rebellion yeah. is you know Marva's uh-huh. brick across somebody's face. Yeah. And she would have wanted nothing else other than that for her to brick to 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 lay out an imperial. Um, but like, there's so many people here that you see that are impacted. Um, and again, we can do, we can debate in like in to what degree and how affectionate they are. But I also think like the the idea of Cassian um, and the way that the show works. He was never going to be the 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 institutor of the rebellion, right? In a in a traditional sense, um, he wasn't going to be the guy who kicked everything off. But, but from a certain point of view, looking at the way that he has impacted everybody that he has encountered throughout that throughout the course of this series, you could make the argument that he has sort of inspired this spark see i think i think it's everybody else this season has been everybody else inspiring him um so but that goes both ways uh well let's talk about oh go ahead fredo no i was just gonna say right quick because i think in a way i could see where dave's coming from just from this standpoint we've noticed that in every one of the interactions in every one of the uh in every one of the uh uh characters that we've met they're focused on their own little thing very few characters are looking at the bigger picture whether it's Saul Guerrero even Luthen to a certain degree he is focused on fighting the empire but doing it his way and I think one of the interesting things is that Cassian is meeting the people he's meeting where they're at whether it's his people in Ferrix and understanding what they can do whether it's the inmates on Narkina 5, whether it's whoever he's coming across, uh, or they're the folks in Aldani. He's, as he's developing, as he's growing into this role, he is adapting and being more conscientious of who he is. Because it's interesting, the dynamics that he has are, are different with every one of those characters than they have with other characters that we meet. Because Vel has a different dynamic with Luthen than she has with Cassian. Luther has a different dynamic with Cassian than he does with Val. So that's just an example. So I could see in a way where you could say that it's characters like Cassian who are more embodying the idea of the, what will become the Rebel Alliance. Whereas up to this point, Luther, Mon, Saw, they're all like little cells. They're all doing their own little thing. And nobody's really come together and brought it all. And what we see in, uh, in the finale, that big bad, the first big fight is people actually rising up and actually becoming a quote-unquote rebellion. This is not just disaffected people fighting an oppressive regime. This is now the people rising up. So, Nemec's Manifesto. Fredo, you put this down in your notes. What do you, you think um, about that? Well, first of all, just it's a wonderful piece of writing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very... Uh, I was surprised that, that, you know, first of all, how short it was, but also... How what he's saying, like like we discussed earlier, how he says uh, that the empire's hold is tenuous. How you know all they need is for people to be afraid, and then you know like oppression. You know they have to keep holding it all together. That's the only thing that the empire knows how to do. They recognize that it's going to be a little thing and a little thing and a little thing, and there's going to be one point that's going to break everything, bust open, and 
I was part of me was thinking, well, is that one point Ferex? Or is that one point Scarif? Or is that one point Yavin? And I was trying to pin out what point they were trying to identify as being the point that finally breaks the dam open against the Empire. You know what's interesting? Because one of the lines that I think is awesome in that thing is, what is it? Uh, freedom is a pure ideal mm, or idea. pure idea. And it's the catch 22, right? Is that we are, we're, yeah, we're, we're born free and mm-hmm. born of free will. But by God, do we like people making decisions for us? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the catch. It's the catch 22. Um, it's like, uh, and you know, without, <laughs> It's the blazing saddles line, you know, Nietzsche said out of chaos comes order. You know, it's like we, it, it, I just, I just find, I just find that very interesting. Um, and I was also, like I said, going back to one of the previous episodes, everybody was skeptical of Cassian on Aldani, except for Nemec. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was a sense that he got from Cassian said, I sense that he, feels the cause is but he was like i mean cassian never came out and said and probably didn't even think he was you know with the cause but nemec saw that in him so that's why he handed off the manifesto to him because i think he's probably the Mm -hmm. only one he thought he could quote unquote trust i don't know dave what'd you think i mean it was really it was really well well conceived eloquent um just really, really wonderful ideas that are present in there. And I, I like something you just said about it, which is this idea that um, rebellions are hard work. Uh, it, it is easier to just, uh, you know, I got, I got, I got a mortgage and I got the ki- I got the three mouths to feed and I got this and that and the other, and I'm just trying to do my job and come home at night, and maybe watch the game, you know, well, um, doesn't Jin say that it's easy if you keep your head down? You know, mm-hmm. she just wants to, uh, I mean, even though yeah. she knows, like, just fall in line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly true. Um, a lot of people aren't going to be motivated to act until they feel that it is absolutely necessary. Um, and, uh, and so from that perspective... Um, it's really sort of remarkable that they were sort of able to create this riot, essentially. Um, and I think like that speaks to her understanding the Empire in the same way that Luthen did. Um, that they would escalate and that all she have to do is walk out into the town square and say a few choice words and they're going to escalate. And now you got to fight on your hands. Um, and so like in one sense it is kind of remarkable that she was able to inspire these people to act in that way but then in another you you understand why they've been pushed and shoved and beaten down and they've had their freedoms taken from them and uh, at some point when you get pushed that far and then when you're in that scenario when you're standing face to face with your enemy and they're taking a swing at you. Like, all right, I'm in this. I'm going to swing back. And uh, and so sort of just masterfully all put together 
in that way and um this is why everybody loves this show i you know some people don't love it i know but um this is why so many people are gushing over this show is because these are um these are intelligent viewpoints of complex issues mm-hmm. like rebellion isn't just something that you talk about and then go do <laughs> right we're going to rebel today everybody come on luke skywalker let's do it you know it's just not that simple and it never has been and it never will be but like um tonally um etc like there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of tie-ins to the original stuff here the original movies were so political and it was it was like paved over right with this candy sweet goodness of laser beams and laser swords and dog fights and wookies and droids and all this fun stuff but that subtext was always there and so that's why this doesn't feel like it's out of bounds or too big of a departure because the politics were always there now let's uh let's talk about if we're talking about politics let's talk about mon mothma and how sly she is you know it was (laughs) that that scene in the car where she like totally chucked her husband under the bus you know was so i have to admit have to admit that when i first saw this when she was like you know you're gambling again you've got gambling problems he's like what no wasn't me you know it was like at my first thought was he's in on it that was my first thought is that he's in Uh, on it but then i again just watched one of the episodes last night when she's talking to her ex-boyfriend from uh chandrilla the banker who's going to help you know move funds around you know she said that her husband is not to be trusted so she she knows exactly what she's doing and she's she suckered him uh, and like to plant that information so now it's going to look like oh when i'm moving money around it's because you know my husband it's not me my husband's you know getting the money to go gamble i was just like that was just so sly it was just it was an awesome scene I started laughing right away, like within a half second of her telling him that. After she said, uh, please give us some privacy. I'm like, well, she knows she doesn't have privacy. Yeah. So now what's she going to say? Then she starts in on the gambling and I'm like, <laughs> she's so smart. She's so smart, right? Like she's got this figured out. She's like, I'm in trouble. How am I going to get out of this thing? Well, you're going to throw, you know mr jerk husband under the bus because you know he's he says, convenient where would i get the money she said that's what what worries me most and it's like so now it's you know it's it's feasible to say he's been he's been stealing from my savings account it's a tale Absolutely. as old and, as time right you know well and particularly because he's well known throughout coruscant as being a bit of a party guy a bit of a good time guy, your best buddy, your best friend, the guy who's always buying you a drink and schmoozing you up, and you're like, yeah, you can kind of see that. And by the way, I love the little 
uh, you know, reference to Canto Bike. I love that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I think it shows a, what I was most struck by it is it's a whole different side to Mon Mothma than I think we've seen up to this point. Because, okay, we remember her from her one scene in Return of the Jedi where she's always, she's almost crying about how many Bothans died. And then there was some moments in Rogue One with her, which again, same dress, same outfit, different actress. And, you know, there was a bit of question being the questioning of Leia's involvement in the rebellion from her to Bail Organa. That was it. The, uh, the, she's one of the characters I'm most, ex most excited about having gotten this season because it's almost like you're looking underneath the hood at the original trilogy going, oh no, these characters that were just, we saw for one scene here, one scene there, they had all this breadth of experience and life and sadness and tough times that we never got to know because they were just in one scene. They were not the characters and, we were following. And leading up to this moment of, you know, her, you know, throwing her husband under the bus. Um, she was always very, I mean, she was involved, but it was like not knowing if she should be involved or how deep she should get into it. There was always a trepidation in her. If you, like I said, watching some of these episodes, she's, you know, like Luthen, what did you do? You know, but she, she's in it, but I think she now within the last two episodes, I think she became committed and it's like, you know, she, she's all in. Cause I don't think she was all in until, you know, until this about this moment. Um, but let's, so to, to continue the conversation about her, what's, what's she doing with, uh, with her daughter? I mean, that was something totally she was against. So what, what do we think? Is it, is it, is, I mean, just to placate the dude that's going to help move money around, you know? She's, um, well, she's placating him, but she's placating her daughter, I think more importantly, because her daughter's into it. And regardless of what she wants for her daughter in that moment, she, it's just probably easier for her to give in to that. And it's like okay, this is what you want. We're gonna we're gonna let you have this ritual and the the whole rigmarole that goes along with that. Um, but yeah, you know, like you get the you get the distinct impression by the end of this episode that she has literally given up her entire family. And yeah, it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, she's against it. She clearly is not happy with having to do it because, and it's interesting because both her and Val are coming at it from the same point of view. They're surprised at how into traditional Chandrillan roles and, you know, modes of behavior her daughter's engaging into. And, you know, it might just be, you know, as, as somebody who's grown up in multiple cultures in some ways you do see that with children of uh immigrants and of migrants where you know they grow up in one society but there's always this curiosity for that other side of their world that they never knew about so it, or, there might be a or the flip a flip of that you know you talk about immigrants to the united states it's like you know you know when they try to speak their native language and get chastised by parents say no we don't 
do that. You'd be as, you know, it's the Irish dropping the O's off of their, you know, their names so they can, you know, Americanize. Assimilate. And uh, assimilate. Then, then it's the, I, but I, I want to be my culture, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's. Yeah. yeah, and I think what's interesting is that, you know, I didn't realize, but Jell and Mon are mirroring each other's path. The stuff that Cinta, I mean, is telling Vel about, you know, you know, you get the what's left after the rebellion. Like, I think there was on the side of Mon that was behaving much the same way as, as Vel, where, where they were trying to keep hold of who they were and all they had and their identity aside from the rebellion. And Cinta's telling, checking Vel and telling her, no, you need to be all in and you're going to, and what, whatever's left is what's going to be us. And I think that's much in the same way for Mon as of this episode. So she's having to realize, no, if I'm going to be a actual committed member of this rebellion, it's going to cost me something. And I don't necessarily... She's easy, it's easy to throw disgusting jerk husband over the over the boat, out and over the side, than it is to serve her daughter up on a platter to a nice kid who's related by blood to... A potential crime boss so yeah. you know th th there's lines there and she's just committed to crossing all of them she's crossing all of them at that point and, and like this is the stage of that journey that they are both in and i think it's really astute of you to point out that val's at the same stage of things um and it's a sheer contrast to uh luthan who you know during his big speech uh, in the previous episode we heard him say like i i'm in i've given up everything Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to see the reward of that sacrifice in my lifetime, but I'm in because it's too important. And he needs more people around him that have made that sort of commitment ultimately for this thing to get really moving in the direction that it needs to move. And so like, you can't be like, yeah, you can't be part way in half in um, I'm trying to have it all. <laughs> I mean, how many of us have, have, you know, we've all had that debate, like, um, especially parents, where maybe you're super conscious of this choice and maybe you're not and you just make the decisions because of um, inertia or whatever, but you are constantly faced with the decision of, Am I putting my family first or am I putting my career first or the, the thing, the things that I believe in, the things I want to achieve in my life, the things that I want to stand for? Is that more important or is it these people that I love and cherish above everything else? And, and, and there's a uh, balancing scale uh, tightrope act that, that we all must engage in on some level, whether we, we have to make those sorts of decisions. It's like I'm committing to one thing over the other, no matter what. I'm making trade-offs at varying points in my life, or I'm committing to the other thing. So uh, talking about loving and cherishing, let's transition to um, Cyril and Dedra. Uh <laughs> <laughs> what what pray tell do we think is going to because okay so i mean when he sees when he sees her in the street he doesn't care about cassian or anything else anymore 
And I don't think he was expecting to see her in the street. Uh, but anyway, he saw her. And so then he saves her when she, I thought she was going to get eaten by wolves. And I would have been down for it. She's one of the, she's a great Star Wars villain. Um, and actually, it's it's funny watching some of the earlier episodes. I was like, I was actually kind of, you know, wondering at the, I mean, yeah, she was a bad guy, but kind of a bad guy that's, that was kind of interesting. You know, then she just became evil, you know. But anyway, so Cyril saves her from the, the townsfolk. And I was so worried that we were going to get the kiss in the copy room, you know, moment. And I was just, please, Lord, no. And thankfully, it didn't happen. However... Um, what do you think we're going to get from the two of these guys in season two? Because apparently Cyril is already, he's one of the first people filming. So he's, he's going to be back, but, um, are we going to get a Bonnie and Clyde type of, uh, thing here? I think that gets him, that's his in into the ISB for one. Clearly he's going to be working with Dedra to hunt down Cassian. That's, uh, you think gonna, that's, that's his play? His he's going to get into the ISB? I, th I think, I mean, he just literally saved her life. If nothing else, he's not going back to monitoring air disbursements or whatever whatever menial uh, accounting job his uncle had him doing in, on Coruscant. He's actually going to be doing the stuff he wants to do. Uh, by the way, it's nice necessary to leave the sergeant behind and the poor guy <laughs> ended up, you know, just forgotten. Uh, but, uh, he had his yeah, bottle. He was good. Yeah, yeah. right. He, he was getting drunk on the street after the big fight. It looked like he looked like any guy on Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, on Mardi Gras <laughs> after, after the parade passed by. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've no, all we, been there. We've all been there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of dynamic develops between them because part of me is still thinking that there is that whole, I called it a fascist meat cute, you know, in our chat because I was like, are they having a rom-com moment between two uh, two uh, imperial people? And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I, like I said, I was worried they were going to have a kissing uh, moment there. But I don't necessarily think that that's the way Dedra sees it, even if Cyril wants to. So it'll, it's got to be interesting. That, that is a toxic relationship in the making. I'm probably not the best person to ask because I thought he was dead as a doornail in this episode and it didn't happen. Um, but because uh, I just figured he'd be in over his head and it turns out that she was in over her head. And that's that was really more of a compelling twist to, to, to give us there that like these fascists who th are so sure of themselves when they get faced with a civilian with a brick uh, oh, things aren't going the way that I want them to, and now I'm in abject terror. Power does panic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of fun to see on that level. With this, I still have my doubts. That I mean, it's 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 a horrific union. We would never want to see it happen. Uh, I'm hopeful that it won't. Um, I think. She's got better sense than that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like she was in a she was in a really fragile state in that moment, so you could see why she would not just instantly be like, "Ew, you're gross, get away from me." Um, so 
maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But okay, larger, larger role, right? Season two. How long are we going to see those two? Are they going to make the entire run? Are they going to be the antagonists the rest of the way? Um, I don't know. Like that's inter- That's an interesting discussion to me, um, because like he's he's kind of going on to bigger and better things. We think. Well, and that's the thing. Okay, so if there's so to kind of kind of we have to put a bow on some of this because we could talk all night about all these things um but here's my problem is that it was it's been very clear what dedra's motivation is through this entire series that i mean she she was very passionate about finding you know she was figuring out how the rebellion was working nobody was listening to her then she realized okay i can use this to make my way up the ranks and to prove to people because you know the the head isb guy is you know telling her basically said you know we don't put women in these roles and so you got to watch you know make sure you're dotting your i's and crossing your t's type of a thing so she started doing that and she found this is a way she started earning respect in you know in that and moving up and up and so you see what her motivation is cyril's motivation through this has been unclear and it's i mean it's it seems like i can tell what everybody's where what their focus is what they're in on you know cyril has just been kind of been kind of the finn of i mean i like the character of finn but it's the one it just seems like the one character that didn't get any didn't get as much love as you know and attention in the writing now however now this last copy room scene like i said he's he's got leverage he's got leverage you know because he's seen the the powerful isb agent you know crawling and you know scratching and begging for her life and at her weakest and how's that going to play in the office? You know, so I don't know. I don't know. I, but like I said, I just I didn't. So I see what's going on now. But throughout the entire season, I didn't I didn't really see a clear motivation from him. I, I think like he's he has a um, obsessive compulsive sort of personality. And that's that that much, I think, is pretty clear. Like he got fixated on Cassian. And it became a huge thing for him. And now is he fixated more on Deidre instead? Or in addition to? Or is she still a means to an end? And he's still... His first love is still Cassian. (laughs) Because he just never struck me as the type... Like, by the time we got to, like, I don't know, the halfway point of this series, I'm like, he's never... He's never going to drop this, is he? Like, it's just never going to happen. He is going to pursue Cassian until he's dead. And I thought that would occur in this episode. And I I still kind of think that that's who he is and where he'll end up. In Uh, some ways, he's a a Captain Ahab type. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's the Captain Ahab. Yeah. Yeah, but you knew what captain ahab was going after i mean because but like cyril's just kind of jumping from 
is he is he focused on Cassian and why is he focused on Cassian? You know, it's like okay, I get maybe the initial why, but it's like, um, but then it's like then he's like you said, then he's fixated on you know Dedra, and it's not clear why. Is it because he wants to get information about Cassian and and use her to help you know find the White Whale? Or is it, it, they make a really creepy, you know, scene where he's been admitted to being stalking her. So they, I don't know. And, I honestly think that, well, A, she showed him the smallest piece of kindness. So like this, you know, like this stray puppy, like he latched onto her, right? I think that's part of that. But then I also think like he can, he's not an idiot. We haven't seen him he's just inexperienced, right? He walks out into these situations that he doesn't have any sort of background or experience for. And so he gets his butt handed to him, but then he learns from it and he comes back and he's tenacious and he's still coming back. And you don't get the impression that he's just stupid. So like, it's certainly within the realm of possibility that he's planning ahead. Oh, Deidre can help me get Cassian. (laughs) There will be that. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. That's where I would place that right now. But again, part of that's because like, that's just too gross a union. I just can't, I I can't handle that. I just, no. But I was just, I just thank God that that we didn't get, I I was absolutely hundred percent sure we were going to get the big, you know, smooch fest. So glad we didn't. Well, anyway, well, let's put a, let's put a bow on this. I mean, uh, we've got, there's some things that were, I, I I think at the end because we have a, a a bullet here of unanswered questions. Cassian's sister, what's up with Canari? I think those were all MacGuffins to explain how um, you know the Canari part of it is to explain how you know you know Cassian was with Marva. You know that they're not. You know, it was just. So I don't know. We'll probably get a little bit of backstory in a book or something like that. But um, and she even told him in a couple episodes ago, said, "Don't even bother going after your sister. Just forget about that." You know, I think that she was telling the whole audience that that hey, we're we're done with Cassian's sister part of this story. That was the thing to get the ball rolling and to get him in trouble. And then, like I said, we'll probably get in a book. That's my thought. I would be surprised if we don't at least get a bit of a mention if in the journeys, because I could very well see where something where Cassian's asking Luthen to at least put uh, five minutes into potentially finding out some of this stuff, because it's interesting that we spent the first two episodes focusing on Cassian's sister, Canari, the fact that nobody discusses what Canari is. He has to pretend he's something else uh, for reasons that are never stated. And I wonder if at some point we might circle back and that might be a bigger point regarding Cassian and who he is. So I, I wouldn't necessarily think that, you know, you're probably right. We'll probably get the depth of it into a book. But I wouldn't be surprised if, Tony, if that's not been set up for payoff somewhere in season two, just as a, oh, and this is why this is what's important. But yeah, it's interesting that they started so strongly with that. And then, you know, through the Aldani arc, the Narkina 5 arc, Going back to Ferex, never brought up again. <laughs> going back to Ferex, Ferex, Ferex. I'm going back to Ferex. 
I don't think so. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Dave, you have any thoughts on the on the whole sister or canary thing or any other unanswered questions that we have from this? Anything you felt gypped out of? That... I understand that some people have uh, objections to that story being dropped because there's this whole white person abducts person of color from native environment mm -hmm. story that we really we really didn't go in depth on and we really didn't talk much about and 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 i think a lot of people feel gypped by that and i think that's a legitimate feeling to have um is it is it an important piece of this story of his story and of where we're headed going into the season two i i, I don't know i mean i don't well, that's the question so. is, is it, it it's it's an important story yeah but is it important to this story right yeah, right that's the tough and I, I and i think like what you're saying it, it, like yeah if they don't touch on it here they probably should touch on it somewhere else because they open those wounds up for people yeah. so let's Okay, so let's let's tell that story, and maybe in a comic book, or maybe in a book, or you know, or or even another series or something. Um, but for this series, eh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they need to go back to that. Um, they really, what's important is getting Cassian from where he is now to the point that we see him in Rogue One. Um, and I think he's still got a little more, a little further to go. So I think what will be interesting as, as we sign off, it'll be the next, uh, next one we get is what? Ahsoka? Mandalorian. Okay. Mandal okay. Mandalorian. Okay. So when we go back to the YA writing, will we be let down? I mean, that, that's, I think that's a legitimate thing for us to be setting ourselves because we would loved how Andor was written and put together, we got to remember that we're going to be going into, it's going to be apples and oranges with the Mandalorian. So that's my thing to everybody to set yourself up. You're not going to get, we're, we're going to go, we're going to go back to a little bit more of the fan servicey stuff. We're going to go back, you know, so I just hope that star Wars maintains that balance, you know, and every, and I hope the acolyte is similar in writing to Andor, for example, you know, so you can have your fan servicey, you know, like I said, YA stuff, and then come back and have, you know, the more serious, you know, adult conversation type of thing like we got with Andor. Um, but anyway, it'll be just, it'll be interesting to see yeah. the first watch of Mandalorian season three if we all go, <laughs> you know, like getting. You know, getting a hamburger after you just got, you know, uh, T-bone steak, you know. And I got to say, like, okay, like. I like hamburgers, so I'm just saying. Like, yeah, I love, well, we all love hamburgers, right? Um, the, the, the meat, uh, people that like meat in the audience love hamburgers. Um, Mandalorian was not the book of Boba Fett. No. Those were two different series, right? Mm -hmm. And the Book of Boba Fett was set kid in the sandbox with his action figures. Um, and, they t and, again, a lot of people like completely 
forgot about like the first half of that show, which was had all the flashbacks with the Tuscan Raiders. And so like, you know, you, you dealt with some things that were a little bit heavier. Mandalorian has always been lone wolf and cub and samurai walking from town to town and, um, Lou Ferrigno's Hulk, you know, it's, it's been, it's been that kind of a show. So it's like, if our expectations change, I think that's on us. Again, those, that show wasn't dumb, right? And I don't, Book of Boba Fett, at times, okay, maybe. Uh, Obi-Wan, very prequel sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think going back to Mando is going to be the easiest possible transition for folks because yeah, it so. seems like the most, it has the most to say. And I guess I'll just second add to it just simply that I'm glad that we're going to go from Andor through Bad Batch to the Mandalorian. Different writing, different, you know, like you said, you know, Dave's pointed it out way back at the start. His kids walked out after, you know, a little bit of watching Andor. It just was not hitting them. Whereas they are big time fans of Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, Grogu, and every one of those episodes. So It's always Baby Yoda. I, I hate the always... I always hate the idea of everything having to be one. Like, I don't want all the Star Wars shows to become Andor. Please don't. Right. right. No, uh, I, I would. I would 100 percent agree with you. That would be like Star Wars shoving its head straight up its own butt. I mean, it would and smelling its own farts. I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. <laughs> it's, um, but South Park, yeah. South Park. But it, but it, you know, it, I, I, but it's been what Star Wars has mm-hmm. been missing, is, mm-hmm. you know like yeah. I said, we've been we've been it, it's the, it's kind of add a little bit of fanciness yeah i don't know I, i'm not and i'm not saying it's better but it's just been yeah. a breath of fresh air and that's kind and of I funny think, after i, I say smell that's your the own way farts, we're but anyway go. i hope that's the way we're gonna go i hope that when we get the mandalorian it's still delivering the stuff that we like out of it i hope when we get ahsoka it's a slightly different thing i hope when the the acolyte comes in it's completely different is that allows you to get a bit of different flavors. It's it's a galaxy. It's all these characters. It's all yeah. these timelines. If you're getting the same thing over and over and over again, yeah, you're going to run into a situation where you get a book of Boba Fett and you go like, but 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 I just got Mandalorian season two like six months ago. This feels the same. You don't want that. You want it yeah. to feel fresh and different and unique. And that's what's going to keep it alive. Absolutely. With that, we Rah-rah. will we will gavel the uh, session into adjournment. And everybody, let us know what you have thought about the uh, Andor um, series. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on the street. Whatever. Um, we'd love to talk to you about it. So until next week, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. We don't have Andor back, so we got we got to do some homework. But anyway. With that, we will say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Everybody have a great week. My monkey.